Ayr. We moved to the city of Don Lee. We went from a mountain town, Pueblo, of like 11,000 people. We moved to a city of 250,000 people. We've got two fast food restaurants that you would recognize. We've got Chester's Fried Chicken. They don't have that. You've got like two truck stops in between here in Los Angeles that's got Chester's. And then we've got Pizza Hut. And so we do have Pizza Hut. And they're not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, but it's a growing, it's a city that is growing. It is incredible how fast that place is growing. Uh, it, there are new housing developments springing up all over the place. And I praise the Lord, we're there. And we've, uh, the Bethlehem Baptist Church is there. Uh, a couple years after our arrival, we were able to start the New Life or New Hope Baptist Church on the other side of town. So there are now two independent Baptist churches in the town, in the city of, uh, of Don Lee. Uh, the pastor there is Pastor Pedro Avila. Uh, and then we have, uh, during the pandemic, we started another church in uh, a town about uh, 20 minutes up the road, uh, down a dirt road called San Matias. They got about 10,000 people there. We started the Harmony Baptist Church. Pastor Samuel Gutierrez is there. And then in the city that's closest to the border, the city of El Paraiso, we started Faith Baptist Church there. Pastor Jerry Hanado is there. And uh, God is just opening the doors all over the place uh, for new works, new, new ministries, and we're so excited about what God is doing. Uh, I have the privilege of visiting the different churches a lot. Uh, the Bethlehem Baptist Church now has a national pastor. That's why I can be gone longer periods of time, uh, the Pastor Josue Andrade. But as I visit, every church is a little different. And, and I see that in the New Testament where Paul writes different epistles to the churches and to the groups that he is witness to and where he's established works at. But as you look through the different epistles, you look at Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, there's always something that he has to try to correct. Even in Philippians, a book about rejoicing, he has to talk to a couple people about having the same mindset. Hey, Get together on some things at the very end. Galatians, he talks to a church that wants to go back to living under the law. And he's talking to that region of churches in Galatia saying, Hey, who's, who's, who's beguiled you that you would want to go back to live like that? Jesus paid it all. And he, and he talks to the Colossians about how Christ needs to be preeminent. But when you come to... The, the books, the epistles of uh, Thessalonians, you don't find him chewing this church out for anything. This was a church that was an impoverished church, but it was also a persecuted church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, I just want to give you a glimpse of what Paul said to, if you will, the model church. In chapter 1, verses number 2 and, and, and following, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in, the Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for your gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that ye were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. 
And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. I look at those words and, and, and I think of a church that is known for sharing the gospel. Can you imagine going into this neighborhood and trying to share the gospel and they say, oh, we've already heard that. Oh, we've already heard that. They, they shared that message with, just, with us the other day. Paul was saying, hey, we don't have to say anything. You've already shared the gospel in this region. He said the word of God has gone out everywhere. I believe the Bible gives us the key to that in verse number 3. He says, remembering without ceasing, first of all, your work of faith. How can we become the model church? Or what are the examples of a model? First of all, the model church has an undying work of faith. Not just work and not just faith, but a work of faith. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Honduras also has become very popular with the evangelical communities. Do you realize Honduras, where I live, has more evangelical missionaries than any other country in Central America? Yet we're the second poorest in the Western Hemisphere. Followed, uh, following only Haiti. It, it astounds me that for we've had the gospel for 70 years, evangelically speaking. If you talk about Christianity, modern Christianity, neo-evangelicalism and stuff like that, not 70 years. And the poverty of the devil hasn't changed. The, the, the level of people with the gospel hasn't changed. There's still a great need. There's, the violence has increased. The problem is there's a lack of those that go that have a work of faith. A work of faith. The, James, in, in his book, he, he tells us, faith without works is dead. And there are a lot of people today that profess to have faith. But there's very little to back that up. There's very little evidence of that work. Paul is saying, hey, in this church in Thessalonica, hey, you guys not only have the faith, you have the work as evidence of it. And if we want to be the model church in our generation, we need to have a work of faith. I look at what God is doing in the country of Honduras and I'm astounded. God has opened so many doors. Since pastor and the church came and visited us, the lanes came, have come to the field. You also support them. We're excited to have them. He needed a vehicle in a worse way. So one of our men did some checking around. We have a, a guy who buys and sells everything. You need a refrigerator, he can get it. You need a dog, he can find you a dog. Um, <laughs> For a fee, he can find you a car, and so he found a car for Brother Lane. It was a pickup truck, F-150. And we go, and the, 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 the seller of this car lives in the capital city. It's about two hours from us. And so we agree to meet him halfway. We meet him halfway. His name is Alan. And Alan, I notice, he's, he's pretty clean cut. 
I said, Alan, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm a captain in the Air Force. And so I start talking to him about our background. We've worked with the military for many years. I said, what rank are you? He said, I'm captain. Oh, Captain Allen, what, where do you work? He said, I work with a presidential honor guard. I said, Captain Allen, and I started because I worked with a presidential honor guard for eight years. I said, do you know this person? And he's like, yeah, I know this. And then I said, where's this person? He goes, oh, he's over here. And, and I said, Captain, would it be possible for us to go and I, we've got all these New Testaments that we really love to give the presidential honor guard because they hold a special place in my heart. I said, how many soldiers are there? How many officers are there? He said, there's 470 assigned to protect the president and all the dignitaries that come into Honduras. I said, can we go and give them a gift? He said, sure. Why don't you come tomorrow? So he organized it with the colonel in charge of all the security for us to go in. We go in and we drop off eight boxes of New Testaments. And we say, these are yours free of charge. We don't want anything. In, in the beginning, of the New Testament is wrapped with a picture of Tegucigalpa, <laughs> of the capital city. And inside, there's the gospel message on the very first page and 22 discipleship lessons right after that. So these soldiers can take it, and even though they don't have the chance to go to church, they can read it, get saved, and be discipled all in one shot on their own. And we give these, and the, and the colonel's so excited. He said, Pastor Jason, we have been praying for someone to come. I know you were here many years ago, but we don't have anybody that wants to preach to the soldiers here. We've been looking. Would you guys be willing to come? and hold services here with the Presidential Honor Guard. I was like, well, we're two hours away. But the Lord touched, burdened our heart, and so we, for the past two, two and a half months, have now been going to the Presidential Honor Guard. We leave at 4.30 in the morning on Thursday mornings, and we drive the two hour, two and a half hours to the capital city. We drive right to the President's office where she would drive her limousine in. They open the gate for us. They don't even ask for ID. We drive in, we drive down, and we park right next to her parking space. And then right outside her window at 7.30 in the morning, about 70 soldiers volunteer. I say volunteer. If you've been in the military, you know what volunteer means. Volunteer to come and, and watch the services. Now, we bring them every week. We bring them boxes of whole Bibles so they can have them. We tell them, take, take, take whole Bibles, and then we say, if your family member doesn't have one, take another one. <laughs> we give them God's Word, and with that, they, they sit and listen to a gospel message every Thursday at 7.30 in the morning. About three weeks into doing that, they said, there are another couple hundred of us that are not here on this property. They are up the road at the Supreme Court where their barracks are. Would you be willing to do another service over there? So from, seven, from 7.30 to 8.45, or from 8.15, we do a service there, and then we drive across the city, and we do another service at 8.30 for the remainder of the services, and we have even more civilians, and we've seen so many officers and so many soldiers come to know Christ as, as a result of that. But it's a work of faith. It's a faith built on the Word of God. The Word of God has to be the foundation of our faith. Today, many modern churches want to talk about having faith in your faith. It's not faith in our faith. 
the object of our faith is the word of God. We, we, we try to build what we do. All the work has to be based on this or that work is done in vain. Uh, three weeks ago, right prior to coming to Honduras, I was literally about a week away from flying up to, to, to be at my daughter's graduation. I was in the airport picking someone up from the airport and there was a, another missionary, not a Baptist, not, just a, a nice guy. And, and I was wearing my Bible college t uh, polo shirt with the emblem on the side. And he goes, oh, you have a Bible college? He says, yes, I do. Man, you got to tell me what your clue. I've been here 15 years trying to do discipleship in the mountains south of the, cap, uh, board, uh, the, the capital city, and I just don't have any fruit. And I'm, I, I asked him, well, what church are you with? He goes, well, I'm not with the church. I'm, I'm kind of a lone ranger. <laughs> and I keep thinking, work of faith based on this. God loved his church and gave his life for it. Everything we do has to flow through this this word. It's a work of faith. That's how we work. But look, if you will, at, your, at our text, 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to see the second part of being that model church. That model Christian. Not only a work of faith, a work that, whose faith is built on God's word. But I want you to see what it says in verse number 3. And labor of love. It's not just how you work. We work by faith, following the biblical principle God has laid and established in His Word. But it's why we work. We work because we love Him. Turn, if you will, to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. We're going to go back all the way to the beginning. And see what God had to say. Look at verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. The motivation for our work has to be love. Why do we sing in the choir? Why do we sing special music? Why do we serve in the different ministries of the church? Why do we do what we do? Not just the how, but the why. The why has to be based on love. There are two different extremes that you find in in churches or in ministry today, you'll find one extreme is this. We We try to motivate people to serve God based on productivity. And the idea is this, the more I do, the more God will love me, is the kind of the idea behind that. We learn that type of motivation in the secular world. The more we produce, the better our salary goes. The higher up on the rung we climb the corporate ladder. And, and that's good to have in the secular We want to be productive. But the motivation for us as Christians, if we work based on, hey, I want God to love me more, so I'll do more, that's a short-lived motivation. It doesn't last very long. Because sooner or later, we've got to learn that there is nothing you and I can do to make God love us more. He already loves us. But God commendeth His love towards us, and that why will we get sinners, Christ died for us. 
He already loves us. You, you can't do anything else to earn more of it. You already have it. He's already displayed it. He's already commended it to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, we, we were unlovable and he loved us anyway. And there are a lot, I find myself a lot of times, hey, we got to do more, we got to do more. And, and you know, that's kind of like the secular mentality. But then sometimes you find yourself on the other extreme. Not just trying to get more production, but a lot of times we want to guilt trip people into working. There's even hymns, at least in Spanish. I don't know the words in English. But it kind of goes like this. I gave my life for you. What have you done for me? It's almost like a guilt trip. Christ died for you. He deserves at least that. And you know what? He does. But if my motivation for serving God is because I feel guilty, that's not even biblical. Jesus died to pay my guilt. I stand before God, although unworthy, I stand justified by His blood. The Lord took my guilt and put it on the tree, and He washed it in His blood. And now when the Lord sees me, He sees not me, but His Son who died for me. Now the guilt is gone. I'm free of the guilt. So motivated, being motivated by guilt or trying to make my, appease the sin debt that I had, it's impossible. There's no way to pay off what I owe. But he did. The only lasting motivation that we have as Christians is not productivity, it's not a guilt trip, it's love. When we develop a heart for God, Nothing can stop us. When you and I learn to love God with such a passion that in spite of persecution, hey, we're going to keep going. In spite of the negative comments at work, hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep going. Why? Because we have to? No, but because we get to. Because He, we love Him. Because He first loved us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but the love of Christ constrains us. It, it's a love that, that motivates us. Paul was talking to the Thessalonian church and he was saying, I commend you for your work based on faith that comes by the hearing and the doing of the word of God. I commend you based on your labor motivated by love. But I want to share with you the final ingredient here in verse number 3. And the Bible says, In the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. This church, in spite of all the persecution, was looking forward to the return of Christ. They believed it could have been at any day, and that was 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine with me, what they were going through. They were hoping, they had an eternal hope that Jesus could come back at any moment. It's a hope that the world can't duplicate. Galatians, if you will, Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter 6 is a verse that many of us know by heart. 
Galatians chapter 6, in verse number 9, the Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's that hope. It's the constantly working using biblical principles, motivated by love, but knowing in our hearts that God will allow us to harvest the blessing. Knowing He could come in at any moment, but as long as I sow the seed, He will bring in the harvest. Honduras has had the gospel 70 years. In 70 years, one, one Honduran family has left, has been saved, baptized, and trained in Honduras and has left Honduras as a missionary. They made it 100 miles past the border of Honduras into Guatemala and planted a a work there, and praise the Lord for them. 70 years, one missionary. I started preaching and mentioning that as a statistic that's unchangeable, undeniable. There are other Hondurans that have left Honduras. They've been trained here in the United States or Mexico, and they've gone on. But there's no one, only one family in Honduras, saved, baptized, and trained, that has left Honduras as a missionary. I praise the Lord tonight that we have two families now going out. One from our ministry and one from another missionary's ministry. Now, the other family is going to Haiti. Our young man is going to Equatorial Guinea in Africa, the only Spanish-speaking country in Africa. He is on deputation. He's raised half of the support needed all without going to the United States. He's raised it all from churches in Central America. We've been there and we've been working and working and working, trying to follow the biblical pattern. And we're just now starting to see the harvest. We've got another young man in our Bible college who believes he's also been called to Africa. We've got another young man who will be graduating in just a couple of months from our Bible college. Been, been in our school for four years. His name is Walter. Pray for him. He's not sure. He knows God wants him to plant churches, but he's not sure whether in Honduras is a national or he might even want to go to Panama. And God is just blessing and blessing and blessing. Church is starting in the middle of the pandemic. I, I know here we had some pretty strict, uh, restri- we had a lot of restrictions, and, and, and many of us really balked at that, but in Honduras it was even worse. For many days, for many months actually, six months, we had a limit. You could not go to the grocery store unless it was your day. And the day your day was based on the last digit of your ID. If your last digit in your ID was one or two, you could go on Monday every other week. If it was two, three or four, you could go on Tuesday. And so on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, nobody was allowed on the streets. Hard to do ministry like that when you're not allowed out. But the commandant of the police told us, Pastor Jason, we need God's word more than we need groceries. And we can't allow you guys to meet because we can't, we have to be even with everybody. But what we're going to do is you're going to, if you wear your name tag from the church, I've ordered my police to not stop you. You guys do the ministry. You get God's word into people's houses. You get people the gospel. 
So during the pandemic, while everybody was shut in, we were not. We were shut out. <laughs> That's when, when the hurricanes hit in the middle of the pandemic, they called us. They sent the military to us to get food and Bibles because we could do it. God has begun to give us a harvest. Praise the Lord for the Lane family that you've sent out to represent Berean Baptist there in Honduras. They're there to help. But there is so much harvest to be gained. We praise the Lord for the harvest and praise the Lord for, for the decades that missionaries prior to us spent sowing and sowing and sowing. They sowed with the hope that God would provide a harvest. And you might be sitting here, man, I, I give and I do and, I, and you get kind of tired. The church in Thessalonians, they were not weary in well-doing because they had the hope of a harvest, the hope of the return of their Savior. This world can't get, any much, can't get much worse than it already is. There, there's some loonies out there running things. And, and, and it really doesn't even make sense. 90% of the decisions that are made globally today. But I know there's a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords who said, let not your heart be weary. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will doubtless come again. We have a Savior who is coming again. And that should give every Christian hope. For many Christians, that, those verses are troubling because their life is not in a position to receive a returning Savior. The church in Thessalonians was saying, with open arms, even now come quickly. We're ready. Lord, we're persecuted. We're working. We're loving. But we're ready. Can you... Say tonight, I'm working, I love the Lord, and I'm ready to receive Him when He comes. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.